Welcome to Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you'll hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources. In this episode, Math Warzel, the president of MJW Careers, discusses how to break into the field of HR. Welcome, Matt. Thank you for having me, Marie. Matt Warzel is the president of the company MJW Careers, which provides assistance to companies in transition, whether it's downsizing or buyout. His company also helps job seekers advance their careers. Matt has over 16 years of HR and career-related expertise. He's got a long history working in HR and human services, but also on recruiting and staffing teams across a variety of industries. Matt and his company have been featured on a variety of websites, such as Yahoo Finance, Yahoo Australia, Yahoo News, AARP, Glassdoor, Sherm, the Chicago Tribune, San Francisco Chronicle, MSN Money, Healthline, North Carolina, Latino News, and so many others. Matt, uh, let's start with a projection from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. It projects that employment of HR specialists may grow 7% from now till 2029, which is faster than the average for all occupations. Your company assists people with their resumes. So my question is, do you see an increase in the number of clients seeking the first job in HR? You know, I have. And in fact, uh, a lot of times I'm tapped with answering something like this, just being that we're kind of living in the HR space as a resume writer and career coach. But outside of those early career roles, like an HR assistant, I always kind of start with my narrative and how I started in HR, which was through recruiting. It's a wonderful place to start learning the ins and outs of just exactly what is the function of human resources. Obviously, as you as you grow into the into the space, there's a lot of you know pieces and parts and that that are gonna that are gonna make up an organization. But a great way to just kind of start learning about staffing and, and kind of how to have that talent acquisition play into the uh, into the company's uh, function. It's just a really neat world to live in. And obviously, the future work it's been altered with the global health crisis. You know, a lot of companies are investing in this HR function. So I see why people might be jumping on something like this just to see what kind of opportunities might be, you know, are, are out in the horizon. But what I'm noticing a lot is people uh, or employees are hiring chief human resources officers, you know, and it's this, the, they call them CHROs for short. And they're there to help manage all these new changes that have been impacted through not only the global health crisis, but just the whole automation function and 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 anything that relates to that kind of AI and data. Um, as you know, data is so important now. So I think these CHROs are going to put a lot more emphasis into a you know more healthy work-life balance for their employees, remote options, and then support if you are a telecommuter. So lots of things happening in HR. I think a lot of job seekers see those advantages. And I'll say as a resume, writer. I'm kind of a blend of HR and human services, but it's a nice profession also in the space. And finally, my thought, the three largest, or excuse me, three fastest growing remote HR jobs right now are recruiter, onboarding coordinator, and HR data analyst. So again, the analysts and the staffing side of things really are a nice place to kind of, you know, cut your teeth, so to speak. I find it interesting you you mentioned the word remote is there an increasing demand for jobs 
that are um, performed remotely? I think so. And I even saw it prior to the, the pandemic. But again, this kind of, I think, streamlined it some. It's funny, a lot of people with remote work, you know, a lot of companies either can handle it or they can't, or they're figuring out ways to handle it. So I think a lot of it's going to be on what was the company doing prior to the pandemic in terms of investing in their HR and their people to be able to kind of sustain, you know, productivity through these changes, because we all kind of see automations there, right? All this technology, it's an advantage. So it's almost like, I like to say my Cleveland Browns, my poor Cleveland Browns in the NFL, although we finally made the playoffs for years, they weren't playing the game of using analytics and they were kind of using this old school mentality of, you know, acquiring players and building a team. Whereas now they're finally starting to realize you can use analytics to your advantage. And it's not so much of a new fancy, you know, new fancy, shiny thing. It's here to stay. So I think companies are seeing that too. And they're going to use these analytics and use this remote capabilities to kind of boost their productivity and, and, and just keep maximizing their own performance. I, they'll, they're realizing it's more of an advantage than, than a disadvantage. What recommendations would you give to someone who's uh, considering an entry-level job in HR, perhaps for someone who has a degree in HR, but no experience, and for someone who, without a degree in HR or a, a experience in HR? Sure. And a lot of it comes down to transferable skills, obviously. And I can expand upon that in, in a minute. But my first biggest statement regarding anybody doing any transition, whether it's HR or not, is prioritize and stick to a consistent schedule. Scheduling is kind of the name of the game for any anytime I'm offering advice to my clients or anybody aspiring a career change or re-entry or what have you. So it's that stick to it nifs is number one. I know it sounds cliche, but a lot of people will give up after they you know run into a few obstacles. And you just can't because as you uncover new ideation and, and new or just facing new obstacles, you know, you're learning things to kind of go around or push your way through. And now you've increased your knowledge and you've increased your performance or, or, or ability to perform and understanding the way things function. So first and foremost, don't be scared. HR is HR. There's a lot of pieces and parts. Start small, figure out which thing excites you, if it's staffing or maybe benefits or training or what have you. There's a lot of things that fall under the umbrella. Most people have skills and experience that can transfer nicely to another industry or job. So the key is knowing how are those skills reasonably transfer and what sort of value do you bring to the prospective employee? You know, the challenge for most of us is that we're just not sure of our, our skills and, and how they exchange, how they're exchangeable to the other, um, you know, duties that you'll be performing. So if you're an accomplished professional, maybe someone trying to break in as a career changer, use the methodolo methodologies or processes uh, uh, you know, your skills or technologies that you've done and figure out the ones that directly relate to that open job that you're applying for in HR, especially for the greener candidates, the early career folks, you're going to use a lot of um, uh, items from maybe uh, academic projects or even coursework you've completed or freelance work you might've done, you know, whatever you can pull from groups, volunteerism, don't be shy to apply for a job if you're an early career candidate, because a lot of times, you know, companies will take advantage of someone that is early career entry level to be able to train them properly because they're not coming in with any bad habits. So figure out, you know, research like heck, what's the new career field and job target. After you do the research, get a feel for the way the industry and those companies in that world, we'll just say HR, how do they function in the space of business? You know, what are, what services are they doing for whether in-house or, or third party? You know, what types of jobs are in that industry? And then, like I said, research, 
Google News is a great place, salary.com, Glassdoor, Indeed, LinkedIn. Figure out what's the function, what are those skills, what are those competencies, what are those achievements that the people that are already working in the industry that you aspire to be, what are they doing? And just figure out how to get to that point, whether you're continuing education and doing the research on your own on your own, or tapping a mentor of sorts um, or joining a group or industry association. But networking and research and sticking to it are going to be the big things. So you mentioned volunteering, and I think a lot of people are not necessarily thinking about, about that. And uh, in, our, in our master's program, for example, we have students work on pro bono HR consulting projects. And that is extremely helpful for students who don't have hands-on practical HR experience, but they come out with a degree and some experience, even if it was pro bono for a nonprofit, it does count. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. How about someone who has worked in HR for many years, but is looking for a higher ranking or more challenging HR job uh, outside their organization? What, what recommendations would you make? And that's great. You know, I appreciate when someone sees that, you know, where, where they are and currently and, and where they want to go and take the initiative. Because a lot of people sometimes will settle for the sake of security at a job. And so I praise the people that are trying to trying to move up the, the corporate ladder, so to speak. And my, my first thing is identify that succession plan. What do you want to be included in? You know, what what are the opportunities that are pragmatically available at those companies, you know, don't just dive into a job hunt or quit your job without planning. You know, again, pragmatism is going to, is going to be, you're going to have to lean on what you know you can do and what things you can execute for that potential employer and the value you offer. So it's not going to be more about like what fits for you, but what can you do for that next employer? What value do you offer to them for them to give you a chance to get an increase in raise and an increase in job responsibilities and title? You know, th- there, there are certain things you're going to have to meet expectation wise. And if you're coming in only meeting, you know, three out of the six things, well, you're going to have to figure out a gap to find, you're going to have to figure out ways to uh, plug that hole and, and remove that gap of those three things you're missing. So, you know, be pragmatic on your daily job hunting opportunities. Know it's a tough market. And obviously we're in a, in a pandemic. And so a lot of unknown uh, entities go with that. So when you're navigating the, the job hunt, just, you know, have your expectations that it might take a minute, obviously with things happening now, it's finally starting to ramp up with the new year. But again, with this pandemic, things are going to be wonky for a while. And then as you get to closer and closer to that vision of your dream job, you know, and, and, and your job drivers, you know, what motivate you, then you can start being a little picky. What's the culture like at the company? What's important to you in terms of benefits and pay and where you work? Or do you want some remote work and some hands-on office or, you know, so, you know, whatever motivates you and what's your passion and what you can do that will make you happy in, you know, two weeks, three months, a year, whatever, but just be realistic. You know, you cannot overstretch yourself in a role just because you're trying to move up and and they, you know, you're just expecting the next company to just make all the, all your demands met. It's in, it's what's in it for them still. So keep that mindset of like, when you first got that job, you were all about that company and the value you can offer to make them progress keep that mentality because I think a lot of folks that might be accomplished changing gears like that come in there with, you know, a, a little bit of a, a chip on their shoulder and, and you can't, you cannot be jaded or have any sort of outliers that are affecting you during the interview or negotiation period or whatever, or even the first month on the job, you know, so you just, you, the challenge is unsure of how your skills are going to exchange into that, into that position again. And so figure out how, you know, w- what can you do 
to offset any of those reservations they might have from you coming from that last job and, you know, why you want to kind of succeed and get promotions. And most companies want to know how you're going to solve their problems, right? Yep, exactly. So more broadly, Matt, uh, what are some key recommendations you'd make to anyone writing or even polishing their resume? Excellent. This one that gets me most excited as, as a resume writer, my line is, well, first, you got to be logical, right? I'm a big pragmatic, pragmatic believer in that each hire manager is different and everyone gets up on a different side of the bed. And so in order to meet expectations for all 50 of the personalities you're going to be encountering with your one resume, be logical with how you set it up. If you're helping them understand your story, your message, your value, and keeping it linear, short, concise, with the poignant uh, sections you need that are most relevant to telling your message and your story, you'll be in better shape than someone who's either getting too fancy, cute, uh, ambiguous with their language, whatever. I mean, you got to think these people are moving a mile, uh, a thousand miles an hour. Don't make them stop what they're doing just because they're trying to figure out what type of candidate you are. So my go-to line is if you're, if the reader's crinkling their forehead, you've lost the initial battle, right? So if they're not crinkling their forehead, now it's just a matter of if you're a fit or not for that job. So don't make them confused. Use those optimized keywords. Use quantifiable value-based accomplishments or, or achievements for your content. And then make sure your format and your layout are complying with applicant tracking systems. And though that's just a fancy word for a software system that HR people put resumes in so they can go fish them out later. Think quantifiable. Again, that's my biggest statement for any sort of resume. Content is king. I'm a big believer of that still. So when you're writing the prose, if you're not someone who's seasoned enough to be able to tell your story in a resume quote unquote form, find someone like me or my colleagues, because there is a form you got to write. There is a six second test that exists. And it's someone who's in hiring understands that because they're looking at hundred resumes a day and they go, okay, now I'm starting to get the feel for how I got to look through these things. And so there is, there is a science behind writing resumes. So if you are not inclined to what that should be, or you're not kind of, you know, going to make the efforts to, you know, do it on your own, hire someone because, you know, a few hundred dollars now can be thousands on the back end during negotiations. Tell us a little bit about the six second test you just talked about. Yeah. So again, and I, this might, I might go into the layout for this because uh, I do have a little bit of a layout note I wanted to share with the, with the audience. So when you're looking at a resume, I like to see the name with contact information is minimal space as possible, knowing that their real estate on the resume is the most important. So take it up wisely. Then after that, I want to see a summary. I want to see some, and, and the summary is essentially going to be, what's your value? Again, going back to that word, the V word, value. What are you doing? What can you do for them that you know you've already done? And then where do you want to be? That's kind of the summary in a three to four sentence structure, quick and concise, and do not use personal pronouns. That's for the cover letter only. Then after that, I do key skills. These are those, again, applicant tracking system compliance skills. Your best bet for these, use skills that live in that world. If you're in HR, words like benefits management, performance management, onboarding, staffing, 401k, vision, you know, there are different things that recruiters will use to set you apart from, say, the mechanic next door. For you're in HR and he's an automotive mechanic, 
you're going to have to stand out some way. And these are those little words that recruiters use to fish your resume out of the thousand people pool that set you apart industry and title wise. And so tap those job descriptions for those, for those words. Those job descriptions come from hiring managers directly to the recruiters. The recruiters are using that verbiage to find the right candidate. And they might be using a little bit more than that if they're a little bit more of an accomplished recruiter, but that's the bare bones minimum of what they need to find. So use those words on those job descriptions without fibbing and put those onto your resume as well as the endorsements at the bottom of the LinkedIn profiles of decision makers that you want to aspire to be or people that you already engage with that are like-minded in the same kind of boat, find out what endorsements they're using on their LinkedIn. LinkedIn's doing a great job job trying to automate the kind of the keywords thing. And so uh, they almost pre-populate each of them now. If they don't pre-populate your buzzword, then you're looking at something a little bit newer than, than what has already been out there. So you might want to think twice. So think in terms of what are these key skills you got to get on your resume? Then after the key skills, I like an accomplishment section. This will set up the combinational resume. The combinational resume is kind of the resume format I'm speaking about. But this accomplishment section, this is a great real estate because this is the first chance of your kind of your bullets, right? These are those bullet achievements. This is where they start to come in. This section should be maybe between like five and eight accomplishments, single lines if you can. Those need to be exactly relating to that role you're, you're targeting. So if it's the role dictates continuous improvement is, is a must, write a line about streamlining efficiencies by implementing you know, continuous improvements and, and or a specific one even, um, a specific project you can talk about. Keep it quick, but those are going to be your prime bullets. Those are your best achievements. If you're a, a green candidate, early career, that's where you can even put something like completed relevant coursework, including, and list out the coursework that relate to that job you're targeting. Anything relatable, that's where you want it. Most impact. Then after the accomplishments, you go into an experience section. Your experience should be set up with a PAR formula or action result formula. PAR is problem action result. You can drop the problem because sometimes there's not a problem. Sometimes it's just you're doing things and, and making things, you know, making things go. So action result, you because you implemented a process improvement, you streamlined efficiency or you met all the throughput you had to meet or you satisfied 100% of the client base or whatever. The more metric-based and achievement-based, the better. And that is going to be the formula you want to hold true for any sentence you write that's bulleted form. Experience section, again, five to seven, maybe eight bullets at the most. Quick and concise, uh, less, less task, more achievement. And the more personable it gets, the better. And then after that, I like the education, certification or training, affiliation, and volunteerism. And that's kind of how I lay my project, my resume out. And when I see resumes that have a layout, first and foremost, because, you know, the overall visual kind of stands out first, I'm already going to the next second. Then I'm looking and seeing, do they have the right kind of dialogue going? And that's that problem action result stuff. That's that applicant tracking system, compliant keyword stuff. All that starts to play into your brain in that next three to six seconds. And then at that point, if you're not talking my world, if you're not you know talking to talk and, and speaking my lingo as a hiring manager, then I'm moving on to the next candidate that's going to have words that stand out to me that, that I live in every day. Now, a lot of organizations are using AI, actually artificial intelligence, to go through those uh, resumes. Does that make a difference? It does. Actually, AI, it's interesting. Again, 
Everyone's different. The, the word is Google has zero AI readers. Every single resume is read by a human, which of all companies, you would think that would be the opposite. Um, but I heard that. I'm not sure if that's a rumor mill or what, but a lot of companies do have humans still looking at resumes and they are physically entering those applicants into the tracking system or they are notified of each and every one that applies and they're looking at those resumes still. So there are ATSs that will allow for humans to look at the resume prior to any sort of, you know, uh, AI kind of, you know, uh, uh, check in place to kind of validate you. But then there are ones that do some, they will kick you out if you don't meet those initial requirements. So the thing with app tracking systems is it's not a catch all every there's hundreds of them. And there's a 100 different rules for each of them. And every company uses 100 different rules. So it, you know, it, it's, it's a little, again, wonky of a world to be, to be playing in when you're job hunting, you got to kind of figure out how to be compliant with these. But if you stick to what I was saying, the pragmatism, it, I, I'm having real good success with my clients to just kind of stick into that notion of making it visually. And by visually, I mean like, you know, that six second test, making it, make, making that six second test, you passing that with the readers, the human eyeballs. For some reason, some of these ATSs might kick you out, even if you are a viable fit. And there goes why we always preach as career coaches not to rely on applications online. Your your goal is to network and strategize your way into a role rather than applying and we call it uh, um, spraying and praying. You're just spraying resumes and praying that someone reaches out to you. Matt, millions of, of people are, are newly unemployed due to COVID-19. In fact, there's a, a recent New York Times article that reports that there are still about 10 million fewer jobs than there were in February 2020. So how should people address their unemployment due to, to the pandemic in their resumes? How can they make up for their lack of employment due to COVID? Yeah, this is great. And you know, um, this had been a trend I am like early 2000s. We had seen a trend as to each job, if you had left the job or what have you, you had a little italicized statement saying why you left that job or what happened, you know, laid off, downsized, fired, you know, ter or terminated, we'll say, you know, so that we used to do that as recruiters for our hiring managers, but now it kind of went away and now it's almost coming back because of this. So I'm going to keep this real simple. There's no other way to do this other than mentioning it in two places, one on the cover letter and do not be long-winded, short and concise. You were laid off due to the COVID-19 and have since de determined that, you know, this is the kind of, you know, role you want to take on next or whatever, but you're keeping it quick and just mentioning it that you're laid off due to COVID-19. And then the other thing is in your resume, you put it at that last job and italicized, you know, maybe after the dates or, you know, depending on how you're going to lay out your resume somewhere, maybe after the title, but you, you want it there. So it's known. And it's literally five words laid off due to COVID-19. Is that five? It's five. <laughs> um, and, and that's it. And, and keep it short and concise during the interview room. The, the, there's no need to expand upon. Now, I'll say this. On the flip side, we used to have people that we would like as candidates. And we'd say, why were you laid off? Why weren't you saved? You know, or you must not be a good employee if you're not being stuck around during the layoff. Well, and then we started expanding that it was a mass downsizing because, you know, they lost a customer that fell into this, you know, candidate of mine's world. So he was laid off. And, you know, so instead of making it long winning stuff, you just said laid off due to a mass downsizing. And it kind of gets that notion across to the reader 
okay, they were impacted with a bunch of other people. Something must have went awry. You know, so again, less is more for any sort of excuse. And this would be kind of that excuse thing. But I've never seen a time where hiring managers are all on board helping in terms of, you know, they're just, they're dismissing that excuse. They're saying it's okay. You're allowed to have this excuse. So take advantage of it and just mark it real quick, shortens, concise, laid off due to COVID-19 and let the interview room kind of dictate how much more in depth you're going to get about it. So in closing, Matt, can you think of one breakthrough thought or idea that may break an assumption about preparing for a new career, whether it's in HR or in another field? Absolutely. So my thing is, I will say this, the assumption that if you are going into a new field, the, the field's waiting, the way they're waiting for you. They are so excited for you to join their world and they're, they have open arms. I and mean, this is like anything we're doing uh, in life. No one cares. <laughs> no one cares what you're doing. No one cares how well you do in the new world. Maybe you're, you know, your mom or whatever, <laughs> your, your spouse. But the, the reality is you chose to make this change. That's the hardest part. Now you got to, like I said early in the call, you got to stick with it. Boiling it down, think about the situation from the hire manager's point of view, right? So she's been pulled aside all day to look through resumes, right? And she's got 15 projects going. She's late on three. She's got a you know performance issue over here, all these things. And now she's got to stop at four o'clock to look at resumes. I've been in these rooms with these hire managers and this is not fun for them. And this is where as a recruiter, our jobs are hard because we got to find that, that diamond, that, that needle in a haystack, so to speak, the purple squirrel, which is the one candidate that matches every single expectation that you have. And it's hard, you know, recruiting's hard. So be mindful that these are people, there's an open requisition they have. It's either costing them money or they're not making money because it's open and leaving it vacant. So if you can help the process and help them understand why you would be a viable candidate, a cultural fit, whatever, someone that can train her quickly and pick up on things, trust that if it's supposed to happen, it will, because you're setting yourself up for the whole, I'm for them, not me. I'm here to help, not get help. And eventually it will come your way because if you do the due diligence of sharing your thought leadership, uh, maybe online or following a company that you're a brand advocate for and sharing their posts and commenting on their posts or, or reaching out to decision makers in the world you want to live in at the big companies that you want to work at and networking your way through conversations and maybe buying them a $10 Amazon card so you can ask them about why they work there and how, how they got the job there and how you could be a, a viable candidate for future work there. Not to just look at your resume. Again, that's you asking. So give, this is the big thing right now is being genuine in your job hunt, being you showing off you. And I've never seen soft skills more important in my life in the 15 years I've been doing this. So soft skills are coming around again. And that all just kind of is the whole character thing because we're in social media and everything is polarized and small, the world's smaller. People want people that are going to be stuck around for a while and that they want to hang out with during the day while they're working eight hours or 10 hours, whatever. So it's important now that you know, you can't lie your way through this and you can't fake your way through. It's there, there's too much transparency now more than ever. And so you got, you got to just be genuine on everything you do. And again, if you prove you can do the job and a good job at that and offer value and solutions and not just abilities and skills, that's going to carry you forward more and, and have more success in whatever field. Thank you, Matt, for sharing your insights with us on how to break into the field of HR and make your resume shine. 
Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you will hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources.